Father, thank you so much for gathering us here this morning. We ask that, Lord, you would just speak to us. We know that your word is at work. It has been at work in our hearts. It's been at work in our lives. As we lean in and as we open your word, God, we want to receive from you. We thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for your presence. We thank you for what you've already been doing in our hearts. But help us, God, to to continue, God, to worship you the way we listen. We want to be open to what you might be speaking and to what, Lord, you want to do in us, to how you might want to encourage and strengthen, to renew and revive, to bring instruction and grace. So help us to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, wouldn't it be great if, if we just had a special device that we could wear on our wrist so we, when we shook someone's hand, we could tell what their motives were? Like their motives just kind of popped up on our, on our wrist. A little scary. It would be really helpful if you're on a new date and you had this device. Or maybe interacting with a salesperson or talking to your child or to your spouse. Or when visiting a church, shaking the hand of the pastor. We've all been hurt by someone with selfish motives. And because of that, there's a lot of cynicism and skepticism towards people in general, but towards leaders in particular. There was a lot of cynicism in Paul's day. There was this sort of a, come on, what's the catch? What do you really want mentality? And there's a lot in our day, and I feel like it's only growing. People are, are skeptical. They're suspicious. And I get it. They're tired of being tricked or cheated. They're tired of big personalities. They're tired of people who say one thing and, and live another way. They're tired of leaders who wear a mask. Motives matter regardless of who you are. It seems like there were some serious accusations against the Apostle Paul regarding his motives. It was common for an itinerant preacher or uh, or philosopher to kind of breeze into a city in Paul's day, present their ideas, present all their fresh insight, take money, do all kinds of immoral things, and then then bounce, move on to the next city. Now, Paul, he had to move on to the next city, if you remember, due to severe persecution. And so there seems to be a lot of accusation, a lot of questions coming from people outside of the church and maybe inside of the church about, hey, why did Paul leave so quickly? Why hasn't he come back? What were his motives? And so this morning, we're going to look at three things. First, we're going to look at motives, why why the Apostle Paul and Silas, why they came to the Thessalonians, so why we came. Second, we're going to look at behavior, the way we came. And then third, what it all led to. First, we're looking at motives, why we came. And we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know, But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men, but God, who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. And we'll pause there. I think verse 4 sums up what he's saying. We're not trying to please people, 
We're not trying to please men. We're not trying to please people. We're trying to please God. That's why we came to you. You know, in my college uh, drawing class, I was an art major, and in my college drawing class, we had to, every week, draw a a self-portrait, a large one. And it had to be usually a blind contour drawing or a glance contour drawing. Now, a blind contour drawing is you have to stare at the mirror at your face and not look at the paper at all. And as you're just looking at the contour, the edge, and all the, the different the dynamics of your face, <laughs> you have to draw without looking at the paper. The glance contour, you can glance, but you have to stop. And you look back up at the, at the mirror, and you continue to draw. Well, this was our assignment. Every week, we had to, we had to do this glance or blind contour. And the idea was to help our, our hand-eye coordination, help our hands to really see, to see clearly. And it was a great exercise. Well, I believe that Paul, here in these verses, is presenting a self-portrait. And it's a self-portrait that I think the Thessalonians, as they were reading this about him and about his time with them and his motives, they would have been nodding in agreement, like, yeah, okay, this is an accurate picture of who Paul is. He says in verse 1, you, basically, it's emphatic, you know what's up. You know how I came to you. You know, brothers, our visit to you was not a failure. In other words, it wasn't empty in that it lacked content or led to no results. It wasn't in vain. Actually, their visit to the Thessalonians, it was a courageous act in the face of physical suffering and mental distress that they had just experienced in Philippi. They still were carrying the scars from their experience in the city of of Philippi. They had suffered. They had been insulted in Philippi. And, And you know what? When they got to Thessalonica... They could have just laid low. They could have just been licking their wounds and played it cool, not not gone to the synagogues, not tried to preach Christ in that city, but just rested. But they didn't do that. They couldn't do that. I want to show you what they did encounter actually in Philippi. Turn with me to Acts chapter 16. The city of Philippi is also in the region of Macedonia, which is where Thessalonica is. And in in Acts chapter 16, they encounter a woman named Lydia down by the river. She comes to faith in Christ. But in addition to that, in verses 16 and on, we we see that um, Paul and Silas encounter a demon-possessed, fortune-telling slave girl that actually troubled Paul so much, he casts the demon out of her. And and it, it ruins her owner's chance of making any more money off of her and so they're furious and they bring paul and silas before the authorities and paul and silas are stripped they're beaten they're placed in the inner prison with their feet in the stocks and and you can imagine you can imagine how they felt what was their response how did how did paul and silas react when they were brought before the authorities and stripped and beaten and 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 imprisoned well, it says in verse 25 of chapter 16 in Acts, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now let's back up a moment. Verse 24, upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell. The jailer put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Paul and Silas have no idea what's coming next. They have no idea what's coming next. And, and here, what are they doing? About midnight. Middle of the night, Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns to God. 
And the other prisoners, they're listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open. Everybody's chains come loose. The jailer woke up. When he saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. He knew that he would have been executed had the prisoners escaped. So he's just going to do himself in. But before he could do himself in, Paul shouts, don't harm yourself. Hey, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And that very hour, that night, the jailer was baptized. And Paul and Silas had their wounds cleaned. They're in the jailer's house. A rough start to a church. But a beautiful start. But there was a lot of physical, a lot of mental distress and anguish. They had just come out of this. And and here they are now in Thessalonica. Everyone in Thessalonica would have known this story. In verse 2 of Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, We suffered, but with the help of God. And we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. Well, that's some strong opposition. I don't know the last time you were stripped and beaten for sharing Christ, locked in an inner prison. I know it hasn't happened to me. That's some serious opposition. He said, We dared to tell you his gospel. It was a courageous thing to do. One author says, if someone does something and they're beat up and thrown in prison for it, and then they do it again, we can assume they have a compelling reason, right? They had just been beat up and thrown in prison for doing what they did in Thessalonica. So they weren't secretly out to gain something from them. They had something they wanted to give to the Thessalonians. And he says, our approval, our validation, it comes from God. Our motives, the driving force behind what we're doing, it's to please God. We're approved by God is what he's telling them. We're entrusted with his gospel. We're not trying to please uh, men. We're trying to please God who tests the heart. And and when he refers to the heart, you know what the heart is? It's the the, the very control center of, of who they are. It's the center of their being. It's what drives their motives. God is the one, he's saying, who who tests our motives, who tests the reasons why we're here. We're not trying to please anyone, not not even you. We're here to please God. That's why we came. And you know, I've seen a lot of men, I've seen a lot of men in 20 years of pastoral ministry fall prey to all kinds of intoxicating motives. Popularity, approval, power, I could list more. Selfish motives, though, they they usually grow slow at first and they don't present themselves as selfish motives. Happens over time. And Paul's saying, listen, we didn't even come with flattery. We didn't use flattery. What is flattery? It's excessive or insincere praise given to further your own agenda, your own interests. It's to get what you want. He says, we're not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. He's laying it all out, isn't he? He's saying, this is why we came. We're approved by God. We're entrusted with his gospel. And we're here to please him. That's why we came. 
Now, if you and I want to be driven or motivated by these things, we have to know these things. We have to know that our acceptance, our approval by God is because of Jesus. Pleasing God is not about gaining his approval. You see? Paul and Silas weren't there in front of the Thessalonians in order to somehow gain God's approval. They knew they had his approval, and they set out to please him. But sometimes we get it backwards. We, we want to try to please God in, in, in so, that, so that we can gain his approval. But when we know we're approved by God because of Jesus, when we know we've been approved by God, we set out to please him. It's about living in light of who we are in Jesus. We have to know this. Know that Jesus is the only one who could ever fully please God, the Father. And because he has fully pleased him on my behalf, on your behalf, we are now free to live in the good of that. Think about that. We can never fully please him in every way, but Jesus has for us. So let's live in the good of that. We've been accepted because of the work of Jesus. So the very idea that we can please God it shouldn't stress us out. It should fill us with joy. Think about this. When you love somebody, don't, don't you love to, to please them? Don't you love to serve them? And you don't do it because you're trying to earn their love. You do it because you love them. And you know that they love you. Is that our motive? The way we, when we serve the Lord? Is that our motive? What drives the things that we do? And also, we need to know that we've been entrusted with a gospel, not just any gospel, not just any good news, the good news, the good news of God, God's good news, the story of rescue and redemption through his son, Jesus. It's his gospel, and so we are ambassadors, or we are uh, representatives, we carry a message with us, and we're not changing that message, we're bringing that message, we're not adapting that message, we're not adding, you know, Darren's little ideas or your ideas to no we're we're bringing the story of god's grace through his son to others we're ambassadors who have been entrusted now think about this when you entrust something to someone what what does that communicate you're communicating to them that you you trust them you're giving them if you're giving your son or daughter the keys to your car you're like hey you better you better i'm entrusting this to you what has God done? He's, he's entrusted us with this gospel, this good news of salvation and rescue. What an honor. Do you, feel, do you feel how valuable this message is and what an honor it is to carry it? Paul's self-portrait, it just it continues, and the Thessalonians would have, just, like I said, been nodding their heads in full agreement as they read the next portion of this letter. We're looking now at behavior. We, we looked at motives. He talked about what was motivating him, what was his driving force, the thing that, was, that, he, that he was trying to do, why they were there. Why did we come to you? We came because we, we came to please the Lord. That's why we came. We were approved by him. We were approved by him. We didn't need your approval. We were approved by him. We set out to please him. Now let's look at behavior. This is the way we came. We're learning so much, church, about leadership here. Let's look here in verse uh, 6. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives as well, because 
you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. I don't think I've read a letter of, of Paul's, at least, that has, has sounded just uh, more intimate and just full of emotion and desire for the people he's writing to. Such affection, tender affection expressed here. He says, we loved you so much. We loved you so much. If, if you want a verse that's going to help you understand the behavior and the way they came, they came in love. We loved you so much. And he uses three family images to refer to his relationship with the Thessalonians, which I think is really cool. Three family relationships. First, in verse 7, he says, we were gentle among you. Some translations uh, say that we were like infants, or we were, uh, the original would be more like, we were like infants or babies among you. We came innocently, complete innocence. We were gentle among you. Verse 7 also says that we were like a mother, or like a nursing mother, literally, caring for her children. And then verse 11 talks about as a father deals with his own children. So we have an infant. We came to you as an infant, completely innocent. But we are among you like a mother, a nursing mother, loving and showing care and tender affection towards their child. But we're also among you like a father who deals with his, his child with encouragement and guidance. He says, first, we were infants. It emphasizes total innocence. The point is that Paul wasn't going to just throw his weight around as an apostle. He could have. You know what he says? As apostles of Christ. Apostle is, it means sent one. That's what it means. They are sent ones. But there are what we could say capital A apostles in the scriptures. Those who saw the Christ, who were with him. The disciples who were sent out as apostles, the sent ones. They were uh, with him in his ministry, his earthly ministry. And then they were sent out. Well, Paul encountered Christ as well. Do you remember on the road to Damascus, his conversion experience, Christ confronted him and uh, he was blinded for a period of time. Paul could have come as an apostle and, uh, and had certain things that he laid out and come in, in a different way. But he came as an infant. He came gentle. He came in an unassuming way with tender care. He laid down his rights. Do you, you know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of Philippians chapter 2. It reminds me of what Jesus did. Let's, let's go there. In Philippians chapter 2, it says, verse 3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should uh, look not only to, the interests, to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Wow. Your attitude should be the same 
It's that of Christ Jesus. He humbled himself. He came as a servant to the point of death. Don't consider your own interests only. Consider the interests of others around you. This is how Paul has come, and this is how he's behaving with the Thessalonians. This was the way he led. You know anyone else who came as an infant? That's how God the Son came, as an infant. You know, he continues to build on this family imagery. Like a mother caring for her child, nursing her child. You know, I've seen, I've seen a lot of that lately. <laughs> with Silas, with our newborn. I see the time. I see the energy. I see the investment. I see how just tired Valerie is. There's a bond, though, that forms between the baby, who happens to be Silas in our case, uh, and the mother. There's this beautiful bond. It's so sweet. The way he looks at her, the tender affection, the way they're just, the way they are together, it's, it's, it's really precious. And this is what Paul's saying. I, I came to you as a mother caring for her child. He was expressing tender affection when he was with them. And I want us to read verse 8. I want us to read it slowly. I want us to think about what he's saying and, and who it's coming from. This is the Apostle Paul. He could have come in a different way. He came in this unassuming way. And then in verse 8, he says, We loved you so much. We were so devoted to you, is what he's saying, that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God. So they shared the gospel of God, the good news of what God has done through his son to provide rescue and hope and redemption. We brought that to you, but we also shared our lives as well. It got, it got personal. We loved you so much. Who, who talks this way? You, you can see through those. I mean, when, you're, when someone tells you they love you and they hardly know you, it's a little awkward, right? I love you. Love you, bro. What? Really? Am I supposed to say I love you back? It's always so awkward. I'm like, right, I love you too. In Jesus, you know, I just love everybody. Well, what he's saying is we loved you so much. We, we, we had an abbreviated time together, but that love grew in our hearts. And what a lesson in leadership this is for us. I, I want these verses to shape my leadership. But not only my pastoral leadership, I, I want them to shape my leadership in the home and, and, and in the community. I, I, I want them to shape me as a person. I want to walk in love, and it requires time. It requires investment. It requires sacrifice. You can go to a lot of conferences on leadership that tell you, you know, you can't really have that kind of close relationship with, with your church, Mr. Pastor, Mr. Reverend. You need to have just your people, and, and you, you do your thing. And it's just like the opposite of what Paul's saying. They had a so much love for the Thessalonians. Remember the kind of leader Paul used to be? He was pretty aggressive. Where did Paul learn the kind of leadership now he's displaying to the Thessalonians? What school did he go to? What conference? He learned it from Jesus. In, in Ephesians chapter two, uh, 5, verse 2, he writes this. Live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
So he writes to the church in Ephesus some of the same things he was modeling for the Thessalonians. He says, live a life of love just as Christ loved us in light of what Christ has done and how he's loved you. Now live this, live this life of love. And he says it in another way to the Corinthians, which is actually he was in Corinth when he was receiving word about the Thessalonians. When he was just kind of, he was stressed out thinking, how are the Thessalonians doing? We'll get to that next week. But in, in Corinthians, he writes, the love of Christ compels or controls us. I love that. The love of Christ has this force against us. It controls us. It compels us to what? To walk in love towards others. The more I am humbled by God's grace and moved by his love, the more I'll see I'm called to love those around me and I, and I want to because of the love I've received. It's, it has a transforming effect. So personal and real was his love for the Thessalonians that he says they delighted to share not only the gospel of God, but their very lives. They, they didn't consider themselves simply dispensers of truth. Like, you sit under me, and I will tell you. Now, they, it was so much, they, they didn't sit in another section of the room when they ate a meal. They were together, and it didn't take long for their love to develop have you ever been on a short-term uh, mission trip? Maybe you've gone to visit another church in another part of the world and you labored together. You experienced something very special. You worked hard together. Uh, I've done this uh, many times uh, over the years and I have these beautiful uh, just friendships around the world that we only spent maybe 12 days with a church. And, and now, uh, you know, after return trips and building uh, these experiences and these relationships, there's a sincere love that I can say I have for people in La Paz. Or there's a sincere love that I, uh, La Paz, Bolivia, or that I, that I have for people in Kenya or people in Cuba or where, wherever we've gone and we see the church of Christ being built up and we get to invest in. Well, here Paul is on mission and they had faced opposition together and they were sharing their lives together and they were working and laboring together and it just accelerated their love for one another. We can read about it. Look in verse 9. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. In other words, he's saying, hey, listen, whatever others are saying about us, surely you remember. Hey, come on, you, you remember. You know what's up. You know how we behaved. We worked night and day. There was great toil and hardship. We didn't want to be a burden to you. So we worked long hours during the day so that we could communicate Christ both during the day and at night. Paul was a tent maker. He was a leather worker. He, he did whatever he had to, and there were long hours spent so he didn't have to receive funds from the Thessalonians. In fact, a lot of what he was doing was being funded by the church of Philippi. But he's saying, you're my witnesses. You're witnesses to the fact that we were among you as holy and blameless, faultless, righteous. We were just among you. We were infants, we were gentle, we were innocent, we loved, we worked, we preached. And finally, he says, we dealt with each of you as a father, encouraging, comforting, and urging you. And when I read this, I picture a father just on the sidelines cheering his son or daughter on or uh, on his knees, hugging his daughter after she just fell down or standing in the driveway before his teen leaves for the evening with the car for the first time and he's present and he's investing. And, and it's the opposite. It's the opposite of uh, what's what Paul and, and Silas are being accused of. They're present. They've invested. They love. They care. They've been encouraging and comforting and urging. And this is the type of leadership we should display. This is the type of people we should be. The message that they brought, live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. 
It's not, hey, just embrace these truths and now go on with your life unaffected. Did you hear that? Listen, it's not just embrace the truth of who Jesus is, like you've got your golden ticket to heaven, and then go on and live your life unaffected. No, it's live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. You have been transformed by the reality of King Jesus. Now bow your life to him. And it involved late night teachings. It involved, I'm sure, early morning one-to-ones. It involved working in small groups while eating or while making a tent or the day-to-day just daily grind stuff of life combined with intentional times. And it was beautiful. Finally, we see what it all led to. Let's look at verse 13. And we also thank God continually because... When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. For you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displeased God and are hostile to all men in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. What did it lead to? What did Paul's time, what did his uh, motive and the way he came and how he behaved among the Thessalonians, what did it all lead to? It led to the Thessalonians being imitators. It led to them receiving the word of God and accepting it as the word of God. And it led to them suffering. The Thessalonians received the word. They accepted it. It was at work in their lives. It actually produces something in those who believe. The word of God produces something in us. It changes us. And it was changing the Thessalonians. And actually, I believe this is one of the the, the biggest reasons why this young church, this, this very young church, was thriving. That they were remaining firm in their faith because they had received the word, not as just the words of Paul and Silas, some just other philosopher who's come through. No, but as the word of God. And it was having an effect in their lives. Are you receiving this as the word of God? Does it hold sway? Does it hold authority over you? Are you bowing your life to it? Are you thankful for it? Do you receive it as actually an expression of love? Because God's word is that, an expression of love to us, revelation. We see who God is. We don't have to kind of wonder, God, what do you like? He's shown us what he's like. He's revealed who he is. He's laid out what he wants for us. He's made it plain. Oh, he loves us. And they received it as the word. Now, most of us, we know that most of what we've learned has been caught rather than taught because the truth is, and it's humbling to admit this, you, you may not be able to remember anything I've said after lunch. I mean, it just depends, right? <laughs> but the, I, know, I know there's a building effect here. I know. Uh, just one brick after the next. <laughs> uh, but I, I also know that a lot of stuff is caught. Most stuff that, you know, we, we, we see someone and we're like, man, I respect that person, their faith, and they're living it out. They're not just talking. They're living it. And we, we catch it. They had become imitators or a copy of the churches in Judea. In other words, they suffered persecution from their own people. The churches of Judea had been suffering persecution from the Jews. The Thessalonians were suffering persecution from the Thessalonians. And Paul says, us too. Oh, oh, and Jesus too. And the prophets of old as well. Oh, and and by the way, those who are undergoing this suffering, 
they're going to be vindicated. What does that mean? God's going to make it right. He sees what's going on. He knows what's going on. Your faith has brought you into this long line of people who have faced what you're facing. God sees it. He will defend you. He will bring it to justice. Carry on. And know that the persecution you're receiving, the suffering you're enduring will make you stronger and it's a part of it. And it's not going to stop God's plan. It's essentially what he's saying. The gospel frees us from putting up a front. It reshapes our motives. The gospel enables us to walk in love. It reshapes our behavior. How does it do that? Because Jesus has loved us sincerely and given us his life, he's given his life away, we can now love others sincerely and give our lives away. We can pour out what we've received from a well that will never run dry. You know, Paul ends his section of the letter, including the Thessalonians, how they were imitators, they were copying. So he's ending basically his self-portrait by including the Thessalonians in his self-portrait. They mattered so much to him, it felt incomplete without them. So I think when he said, we loved you so much, he actually meant it. Such a love. Church, what motivates us? What drives our behavior? What well are we drawing from? Is Christ, is his love for us what we're drawing from as we walk in love towards others? Let's pray that it would be. Let's pray now. Father, thank you so much for what we've learned here of leadership, of what we've learned here of motives. There's a lot to respond to. There's a lot to interact with. And Father, we just pray that as, as we think about how you've called us to live, that we would evaluate, that today we would evaluate what motivates us, what's at our, what, 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 what drives us, that drives the things that we do. That Lord, we would set out to please you, knowing that we're approved by you, entrusted with your gospel. Transform our motives, Lord, and impact forever our behavior, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.